just been introduced. I do not know you well, but when the music started, something drew me to your side. So many men and girls are in each other's arms. It made me think. is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. When I was a little girl, I knew that I wanted to be a star. I wanted to be a star like many blonde, blue-eyed girls who had a voice and stage savvy and who envisioned themselves to be the next potential actor waltzing in and shaking up the power agent's attention in Hollywood. In short, I wanted to be like my unforgettable guest today, the radiant Constance Towers. She was and is the epitome of the golden-haired California-bound girl, statuesque, talented with singing and acting talent, and an instantly recognizable, generous persona. I grew up watching her guest star on television episodes of Perry Mason, Hawaii Five O, and L.A. Law, and in the impeccable John Ford films The Horse Soldiers with John Wayne and William Holden, and Sergeant Rutledge with Jeffrey Hunter and Woody Strode. And little did I know then that she shared her singing talents in landmark musical theater productions of Showboat, Carousel, The Sound of Music, and on tour with Yul Brenner in The King and I, turning in 800 performances with him. This young beauty, originally from Whitefish, Montana, had early designs on being an opera singer. After singing on the radio at a young age, her family moved to New York City, where she studied at the Juilliard School and the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And when she was lured into a summer production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel, she changed her direction to musical theater and acting. A rich career in Hollywood films was suddenly within her grasp. On January 27th at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, Mid-Century Productions and American Cinematique is honoring Constance Towers in an evening devoted to her extraordinary performance in Samuel Fuller's film noir, The Naked Kiss. In one of the most powerfully dramatic films of the 1960s, The Naked Kiss achieves a certain brilliance of realism with the luminous performance of Constant Towers as the star-crossed prostitute who is attempting a second chance at life. She played against type in this role and in another Samuel Fuller film, Shock Corridor. And for anyone who knows Fuller's filmmaking style, there is an aggressive and brutal arc to the realism in his Pulp Fiction classics, but it is represented with an oftentimes lyrical intensity, and it is Constance Towers' performances that capitalizes on that defining element. January 27th will be a special and unmissable evening at the Egyptian Theater, and it will celebrate the work of an American actress who has proven her diverse talents through a life well-lived. There is a special star in the night sky over Hollywood now, and her name is on it. I am thrilled to welcome Constance Towers to center stage. Connie, welcome, and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Pamela, for an incredibly beautiful introduction. 
I can't wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> now that's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, I'm 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 being quite realistic, as as was Sam Fuller when when I'm talking about you, because everything about you is beautiful in that Grace Kelly kind of way. You know, well, uh, you, that's lovely. Well, you are, and and indeed. So here you are, this lovely young woman from Whitefish, Montana, Big Sky Country. You've done so much in your life. You've covered so many different artistic disciplines, and you've been so successful. Is it true that you turned down a contract at Paramount Studios when you were a child because you wanted to become an opera singer? That is absolutely true. Really? My parents came down to Los Angeles from Montana with my sister, who was a champion swimmer. And ah. they were bringing her down to California to compete. Mm-hmm. And so I tagged along. And uh, a man who had seen me and heard me sing, and I was, I don't know, 10 years old at that point, and uh, he arranged for me to meet the head people at, in casting at Paramount Pictures. And, of course, that day I woke up with laryngitis. Oh, no. Oh. You know, that's always the singer's yeah. nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went anyway, not realizing that maybe I shouldn't have gone. And I was standing in what I thought was, felt like a glass bubble. And I can't remember what I sang. Oh, I think it was Musetta's Waltz. Waltz, yeah. Wando Manvo, yeah. Right. And uh, afterward, they sat me down with my mother, who was absolutely beautiful herself. Oh. And... Uh, they offered me a contract, and I, without even thinking, said, oh, no, thank you very much, but <laughs> I, I want to pursue an operatic career. And so they turned right to my mother, and they said, well, what about you? You're pretty beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. So, and, of course, my mother was my greatest supporter and always with me, and she traveled with me and was always there to be supportive and I couldn't have asked for a better parent. Oh, that's wonderful. I love hearing that. So so they were going to make you into the next Deanna Durbin, right? Or Catherine well, Grayson? Well, she was already Deanna Durbin or Jane Powell, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of little performing young person. <laughs> and uh, I wanted no part of it. About 10 years later, I thought, what was I thinking? <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> so then you were already at your studies at Juilliard, I suppose, when your your parents moved to New York City. And yes, well, that was, that was the most fortunate thing for me. My father went to New York and became the executive vice president of E.R. Squibb and Sons, the pharmaceutical company. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so my, my parents were going there, and it was just at the right time. So I did not have the kind of experience of living in a garret looking for money and food and having this hard experience going to dramatic school that some people feel you have to go through. I was living at home with two loving parents who kept me warm and clothed and paid for at school with tuition. Perfect. So I had the best part of everything. Oh, my gosh. How perfect. Now, I've got a comment. Singer to singer. I'm really thrilled that you studied with the late Beverly Johnson in New York City, the most wonderful voice teacher who's taught many like yourself, but also Renee Fleming. What was that experience like for you? Well, Beverly was, Beverly Johnson, she taught Tibaldi, you Mm -hmm. know, and great voices, certainly Renee Fleming. And uh, Beverly was 
so much a partner to you as your teacher. Mm -hmm. And as you know, communication is 99% of it. And uh, if she found a way to communicate to you on any level, I was doing Broadway musicals, so she would work with me in that sense. Then she would have Renee Fleming arrive, and they would work. And she was such a gift to me. I will forever be grateful to her. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I know that many, many singers in New York are really beholden to her. And, and the fact that she did, she was much more than just a teacher, wasn't she? Oh, yes. Well, I think that was exhibited to me on the day, the last day of our two-year run of The King and I at the Euros Theater on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I received a call at 5 in the morning. My father had died, <gasps> and it, it was such an impact because I loved him so much. We were so close. And I thought I was going to be all right for that last performance. But when I got to Beverly's, she said, let's sing. And so I started to sing, and of course, the heart and the vocal cords are so yes. closely touching one another. Yes. The minute I started to sing, I burst into tears. And Beverly said, okay, that's what you need to do. Get it all out here, and then you can go on, on stage tonight and get through that performance. And it was exactly right, because I cried it out, and even I had one bad moment. When we opened uh, the show, I told everybody, I said, if no one comes to me and comforts me, if everybody just leaves me alone, I'll be fine. I just don't need that one arm to right. go around my shoulders, and I, I'm, I don't know if I'll be able to get through it emotionally. So I started the um, Hello, Young Lovers, and it's about her dead husband. Mm. And as Mrs. Anna says in the verse, you know, that she's talking about the young lovers, but comparing her own experience with the man she loved in her own life. And as I started into it, I realized that I didn't know if I was going to make it. So oh, wow. I, the only thing I could do was just get through it. And I sped up a little bit the singing of it and not dwelling on certain notes as I had always before. Yeah. And our conductor, who was the great Milton Rosenstock, started yelling at me from the pit because he realized that I was having trouble emotionally. And he called me some very rude names out of the pit. Really? And I looked at him and I thought, how dare you speak to me that way? And I was out of my misery of almost crying and mad at him and really angry. And I suddenly realized I was finishing the song. Yeah, yeah. And he got me through it by making <laughs> me angry. Good oh, good for him in his oh, I know. backwards I so way. <laughs> and then Yule Brenner came on for the March of the Children, and he stood next to me, and he said, now just stop it. And so really? he was mean as could be, oh. and that was what I needed. They yeah. all... They just they wanted you to right get thing. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were yeah. such a beautiful artist. What a natural singer you were, Constance. Oh, well, thank you. No, really, the sweetness in your sound, the riches. T- tell me, uh, we have to ask, what was Yul Brenner like to work with on a daily <laughs> basis? Well, I have to tell you, I'm very disappointing to people who ask me that because he was an absolute dream for me. Oh, wow. He put Mrs. Anna was on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. He could not be nicer to me. He could not. All he expected was one thing, be 150% there, there. every yeah. performance, mm-hmm. yeah. because he was. 
And if he was temperamental, it was because somebody wasn't doing their job. Wow, that's fantastic. Because he demanded perfection, he gave mm-hmm. perfection. I love that. I love yeah. that kind of work ethic. Well, I want to hear a little more perfection right now. I'd love to hear a little more of your singing. And what I'd like to play right now, Constance Towers, is your beautiful performance as Julie in Showboat. And here she is singing Bill from the 1966 revival at Lincoln Center, Showboat. I used to dream that I would discover the perfect lover someday. I knew I'd recognize him if ever he came round my way. I always used to fancy then he'd be one of the godlike of men with a giant brain and a noble head like the heroes bold in the books I've read but along came Bill who's not the type at all you'd meet him Constance Towers. Oh my gosh, you make my heart cry. I love the sustaining power of your voice. Now that's singer to singer. (laughs) No, that's a great compliment. Thank you. (laughs) How beautiful. Now I've got so much to talk to you about and, and I just have to get to the fact that you start in The Horse Soldiers and Sergeant Rutledge with one of my favorite directors, John Ford. Did he cast you in those himself? Yes, he did. He was a hands-on director from the word go. I went in. Of course, it didn't hurt that I was Irish. My (laughs) father was born in Drumcondra in (laughs) Ireland, so I was a first-generation American, and we had a lot to talk about with that. Wow. And then when we finally got down to doing the, the, uh, the test itself, I was tested with five other girls, and one of them was Jenna Rollins, who had, oh, yeah. with whom I had been in the same class at the American Academy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we were very good friends, so I had that feeling of, oh, Jenna would be so great in this part, too, and 
fortunately, I won out, but she certainly would have been wonderful, too. Oh, yeah. But I found myself suddenly in the position of starring in my first big movie opposite John Wayne and William Holden, being directed by John Ford. (laughs) It was wonderful. How amazing. I mean, what what was it like with John Ford? Was, Was he the titan we all want to think he was? Well, he was a perfectionist, too, mm-hmm. and he knew every frame of that film. It is wow. said about him that he, they could never edit his film because he shot only what they needed. He oh. would never give them anything extra, so they couldn't edit it. They couldn't take a piece of film out unless oh he gosh. okayed it, because they couldn't. They just simply an editor couldn't put it together without wow. his help. I did not so realize that. So he protected that. himself in every way. So he was wonderful in that respect. He was a wonderful actor's director. Yeah, yeah. And if you just kept your eye on him, he would go in on the set and kind of walk it through. And you thought, oh, that's what he wants me to do. I yeah. see what I see where he's going with this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he was silently very helpful, as well as you could go to him and ask him a question. You had to make sure that the question you were asking was a good question because then he he had, I hate to say it was a mean streak, but it was a mischief streak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he might announce to the entire crew, oh, Miss Towers is asking me Uh what what her motivation is. Well, your motivation is to get out of that chair. (laughs) So get up and get out of the chair. Oh boy. Yeah, this is a yeah. handful. So you yeah. had you had a baptism by fire on, on set. Oh absolutely. <clears throat> and but she, he was gentle and sweet and wonderful with me too. I can imagine because he had you around twice for two films. And yeah. and John Wayne, oh my. Well, you know, he was exactly in person. What you saw on the screen. That was the person you got. That was him. Oh, how beautiful. And he had time for people. He was wonderful with young people. Very very often, we were in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Many times, young kids would be outside the motel that we were all staying in, and they wanted to talk to John Wayne, and he would come back, having had breakfast at 5 in the morning and being out in the swamps riding a horse Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. And he would come back covered in mud and still had time, and patience to stand and talk to young people. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I remember one young boy came to him, and he said, Mr. Wayne, I'd like to ask you something. And he said, sure, and in that wonderful way he had. (laughs) And he said, what is it? And the boy said, well, my father won't let me have the car on on Saturday night, and I don't know what to do about that. And Duke stood there for a long moment, and he thought about it, and he said, let me ask you something. When's the last time you told your father you loved him? And the boy looked at him and he said, I don't know. He said, well, why don't you go home and start there? Tell your dad you love him and you appreciate him. And then maybe wash the car. (laughs) And so this boy left and sure enough, he came back in a couple of weeks and he said, you know what? It worked. I love it. Oh, these are the stories we love on this show, Constance Towers. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Wow. he just had time for people. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. had compassion. He had he had the ability to listen, which is rare, certainly today. Mm-hmm. And he was a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and wonderful fantastic. to work with. Because he knew I was really just starting and he was so helpful. I can imagine. So easy to work with. 
And William Holden, on the other hand, was the consummate gentleman, and he felt that his job was to do the best job on screen that he could possibly do, but he did not feel that he needed to stand and talk to people. He didn't oh. feel he needed to sign an autograph, which was his choice. Yeah, it, yeah, it was you know, his way. He was mm-hmm. wonderful to work with, but he was not the social, uh, open, compassionate person mm-hmm. that John Wayne was. Wow. Very I love them both. Oh, I can imagine. And, and what a joy for you to share with us. Wow. Well, you know, I could talk to you for at least four hours right now running, but I guess I better get to our main subject here today, which is really you and the film director, Samuel Fuller. You know, Martin Scorsese said, if you don't like Sam Fuller, you just don't like cinema. Now, you starred in two of his films, Shock Corridor and The Naked Kiss. And I have to say right now, Constance Towers, this is not for the faint of heart, is it? These these films are realistic. They're sometimes lurid. Um, the Pulp Fiction style is regarded by artists such as Quentin Tarantino to have set a standard for those who came after him. That's right. But wow, what well, hard-boiled... He was the opposite of John Ford. Mm-hmm. John Ford was the poet of film, and will go down in history of cinema as having been a poet with a camera. Beautiful. Sammy was gritty, raw. He was anything but a gentleman when he felt like not being a gentleman. Um, he strove for truth, mm-hmm. and that was his goal. And he said about any of the films that he did about war, mm-hmm. that he wasn't looking for the character to be a hero, but a survivor. Oh, and he I felt see. that was what war was, and we all know that's exactly what it is. If you can just survive, you don't have to be a hero. Just get through it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Sammy, Sammy, I, I went back and reread his autobiography just recently, and it was amazing what bounced off of the page it's called a third face mm-hmm. and it's it, it is this brutal honesty that he demanded of his characters because he wrote it directed it produced it yeah and on very small budgets at that time and yet he was able to get this raw honesty purity off the page and that's why they're they're hard to look at because mm-hmm. they're they are the real facts the truth and he hasn't garnished it with with any beautiful, soft poetry. It's simply what it is. But, you know, at times, when I was watching The Naked Kiss just recently, and he likes to keep the camera held on his subjects. You know, we we oftentimes watch you, and the camera just holds on your face, so you can go through an entire variety of emotions that are played out, and you did it so well. Um, I I get the impression that what he lacked really in production value, he made up for in the strength of his actors. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. What he didn't have in production value was because he was... He was on a strapped by yeah, on mm-hmm. a very tight budget. But even in Shock Corridor, when he sh- shows this long corridor in the insane asylum, he created perspective. He couldn't afford a long corridor. So he created the perspective of a long corridor by casting short actors for the farthest point. Really? So he, yeah, so he created 
a perspective just by taking wow. the taller actors in the foreground and then going to the background with the shorter, smaller people. Uh, it's interesting. Hitchcock would have done it in a different way. But, you know, really, he was ahead of his time. Oh, huh. absolutely. My and gosh. his courage in the subjects that he that he approached were certainly evident of a man who had something to say and wasn't afraid to say it. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That was the journalist in him, wasn't it? Absolutely. And The Naked Kiss, which you are featuring on January 27th at the Egyptian Theater, really the the center theme of this is really a cast of misfits um, and a a centerpiece story of this wonderful prostitute who's really trying to break out of mold, but you actually unearth child molestation. And that's you're, right. You're, you're he brave took a subject, That's right. He took a subject in that film that wasn't even a buzzword mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. It was a subject that people avoided. They didn't want to admit that maybe that happened. And today, of course, it's it's everywhere, and of we course. see it. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't take that much courage to talk about it today, but at that time it did. But he felt very strongly about each one of these subjects: prostitution, war or White Dog, which really almost banished him from the United States for a few years. But it's just about a dog that was trained to only like white people. Of course, yeah. And, of course, that subject was so then not really approached. Today, gosh, we're, we've come so far. Mm-hmm. I know. But, um, I know, but, but then... the message, the message was cruel and harsh, but true in that film. How how what was it like to work with Sam Fuller, Constance? Well, it was working with somebody who was totally uninhibited, who was free to speak his mind, mm-hmm. who encouraged you the most you could gift him with was honesty and purity in your performance. He gave you the camera, as you said, long moments where you were thinking through something he allowed you and trusted you as an actor mm-hmm. to give him all of those emotional levels that you were reaching, he allowed you to do it, and he had the patience and the trust. Wow. And, and that, that's a huge gift to an actor. It is, and, and you came through. Um, Connie, I, I just have to say we're running out of time, and, and before we finish, I, I just have to say one thing to you. I, I am a huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan, and I was so thrilled to see that you had actually starred in Deep Space Nine. Oh, yes, I was an ambassador. I a love it. man who was a blue man who was another ambassador, and they built my forehead out <laughs> tremendously with all these red curls on top. And I walked out of my dressing room at, at Paramount, and there was a group of, of people, tourists, who were seeing the studio. Uh-huh. And they all looked at me when I came out, and I said, I know. I have a terrible headache. Oh, my. Well, you know what, Constance Towers? We're still looking at you, and we're still admiring you. Thank you so much for being on my show. I've loved oh, every I moment. I'm so We've... happy to meet you because I think you're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. You are, too. And the sun is going to shine brilliantly on your career from now and forever. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. This is Pamela Kuhn and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.